This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to The Real Real, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. It's always really hard to take rejection, but we just kind of have to know that rejection happens and it's okay. You have to be willing to walk away sometimes if you feel like it's not worth your time. At the end of the day, it's what will you get from this? Will it be valuable for your portfolio? If not, and you're going to spend a lot of time and even some money on the project, then you have to walk away if they're going to sort of devalue your time and your worth. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Real Real. Thank you for listening and tuning in to another episode. It's your host, Natalie Barbu, and I am coming from Miami, sitting down, recording this intro from Miami. I feel like I have to give a weekly update because I really do feel on the go all the time. I'm like in North Carolina. I'm in New York. I'm in Connecticut. I'm in Boston. I'm kind of up and down the East Coast, so I feel like I always have to give you a little update, and it's just absolutely mind-blowing to me that it is November already and actually not even just November it's almost the end of November the holidays are coming and they're already here I shouldn't even say they're coming the holidays are here I have yet to do my Christmas gifts I have yet to figure out what I'm buying for people but I am determined to get organized and I also want to do like holiday gift guides and wish lists and post those on um, Instagram and TikTok and all of the sites so if you want to have like an in-depth gift guide definitely follow me so I can give, you know, all of the all the gift ideas. I've never really done those before, but I'm feeling like in the gift giving mood and I feel like I want to create something like that and post it on social and see how it does. So, you know, just follow me if you want to kind of stay tuned with that. But it's weird because since I've been living in Miami, it's been, you know, 77, 80, 83, like it's been a pretty much a consistent 80 degree and sunny weather all this entire month like it hasn't even really rained at all knock on wood because I don't want it to rain because I really do love the sunshine but hasn't even really rained and so to me I'm just like mentally not in Thanksgiving mode I I don't need to be in the cold for winter because I grew up in South Florida my family comes to Miami for Christmas every single year so Christmas for me it's fine being warm, like which is kind of backwards, but Thanksgiving I've never spent in Florida besides like growing up here. I've always spent it in North Carolina. So Thanksgiving to me is just like weird that it's 80 degrees outside and I'm just mentally not there. Like I am, it, it's it, to me, it's, it's still the middle of summer. And so 
I can't believe it's almost the end of the year. I mean, with Rella launching, we're planning on launching like the first week of January and it's so soon, but it feels like such a foreign, far away date because it's like 2022, which is just like a foreign concept. I'm like, wait, 2022 is in how long? Like people are telling me like, oh yeah, that'll be done by the end of the year. And I'm like, oh my God, like six months away. And I'm like, no, end of the year is literally a month and a half, less than a month and a half away, which is absolutely crazy. 2021 flew by and I'm sure I will say the same thing about 2022. And before you know it, we will be at 2023 or 2030, you know, we'll blink our eyes and it's going to be the next, the next decade. (laughs) So, you know, I'm just, it's, it's just absolutely crazy that the year is flying by. So anyways, today I am speaking with someone who is an influencer and I would say she has made her career out of being an influencer, like OG influencer, really built a full-fledged business. Cause you know, there's influencers that post their lives and do a few sponsored contents and there's influencers that make an entire business out of being a content creator. And that is our guest for today. But speaking of, it just makes me want to tell you guys about my experience being a content creator. I've done a whole episode on this. It's one of my very first ones, but I want to give you a gist of it and a quick like two minute summary of my journey being an influencer and how I've kind of made it my business and kind of like key moments that I don't usually speak on. So I started obviously creating YouTube videos, I should say when I was 15. And there were moments when I was 15 years old filming makeup videos. I was filming Aria Montgomery makeup tutorials. That was my very first video that I ever uploaded. And I remember being so scared to show anyone and to tell anyone. So I didn't tell my family for a long time, but I vividly remember telling my mom and my sister when we were in Nordstrom looking at shoes. And I was like, mom, I have to tell you something. And I pulled her aside. It was like telling her I'm pregnant. Like it was literally like a pulling aside moment. I was like, please don't be mad at me. The thoughts going through my mom's head when I was saying this were probably like, what is my 15 year old daughter getting herself into? Pulled her aside. I was like, please don't be mad. And she's like, okay, what? And I was like, I started a YouTube channel. (laughs) That was what I had to say. That was my like, please don't be mad at me at 15 years old, pulling my mother aside. So I think whatever I had to say was better than probably her worst thoughts. So for her, she was like, oh, okay, like, (laughs) great. So I vividly remember that interaction. And then I remember telling my friends in the cafeteria and I remember vividly telling like two of them. I only told two, you know, couldn't trust the rest of them. So I was like, um, so I have a YouTube channel and I'm posting videos on there and it's really fun and I love it. And like people are watching and they just had a few questions. They're like, Oh, okay. Like, what is it? Like, can I, can we watch them? Can we be in them? You know, it was just like questions like that, but they were really chill about it. And then I was like, please don't tell anyone. And then I vividly remember. And I keep saying I vividly remember because it's like, I'm watching a movie when I'm telling you guys this, like I, I can picture exactly where I was. I can picture the moment. I can picture like the the exact location I was in, like in Nordstrom and in my cafeteria. And if I go back to those spots today, I could tell you where I was standing when I said these things and when I, when I experienced these moments. But there was one moment in particular, I remember I was in my room and I got a text from this girl and me and this girl were not really friends. Um, there wasn't like we weren't not friends because we didn't like each other. We just like weren't friends, you know, you like you run in different circles. And I remember her texting me and she was like, Hey, is this you? (laughs) And sent me one of my videos. And I remember thinking, Oh my God. Yes, it's me. Like, Oh, like I was so nervous. And so I texted her immediately. I was like, please don't tell anyone about this. Like, yes, I do YouTube. Like it was a secret. I was like, please, please, please don't tell anyone. And she was like, okay, I won't tell anyone. 
But as to be expected, she went and told a bunch of guys at our school. And these guys in particular were not the nicest to me. And so they would make fun of me. They kind of mocked me. Like it was kind of like a friend, but not friend situation where it was like, you guys claim you guys are friends, but like they're really not your friends and they make fun of you and they're mean. I feel like everyone had kind of like a group like that in high school when it took you a little too long to realize that those people weren't really your friends. And so those were those people for me. And I remember one time I was going, getting ready for my birthday and I filmed a video about like getting ready for my 16th birthday. And like the next week after I uploaded it, all of the guys started like making fun of what I was saying at school. They were like, oh, and next I'm going to put my mascara on, you know, and they were just like, mocking what I was saying in my videos to me in real life. And that just really crushed me. And so I kind of stopped doing YouTube for quite some time in school. Like I wasn't as consistent. I still loved it. So I still like uploaded, but I didn't do it consistently. I was like doing like maybe two, two videos every I don't know, like a video every other month, pretty much, which is not very consistent. And so that was like my first few memories of YouTube and putting myself on the internet and kind of being a content creator. And of course, keep in mind, this is 2011, 2012, so 2013. So these years, it was not what obviously social media is today. The word influencer wasn't a thing. You couldn't make money off of it. But I just remember feeling so ashamed but I still loved it. Like I was like, I still love making YouTube videos. I love the community I'm building, even though it was like a thousand people. I was like, I I really love what I'm doing, but those people just made me feel so ashamed. And so I just wanted to share that experience with you because I don't think I've ever really shared those exact moments. And I'd love to kind of share more. Maybe I'll do another podcast episode about it. Like when Rella comes out, like a whole journey of becoming a content creator, like what got me to where I am today. But that's a little sneak peek of it because I just remember those moments were such like difficult moments for me. And it's funny because when you're 15, 16, like you really think that those things are the end of the world and they're not. So I am so happy that 15, 16, 17 year old me decided to stick with it because those were not my only encounters or that was not my only encounter of being made fun of. I I would never say I was bullied, but I was definitely made fun of a lot um, throughout high school and college when it came to YouTube and I would brush it off and act like I don't care. But deep down, I really, really cared. And it deeply, deeply affected me. So I just wanted to share those moments with you and share kind of like my influencer story and my beginnings, because that's what we're talking about in today's episode. Today's episode, we're talking about social media and what it's truly like to be an influencer. And I mean, you literally just heard, obviously, my whole intro talking about my beginnings and like moments that really stuck out to me in this content creator journey. And I feel like anyone that puts themselves on the internet has had an experience like this. And Tina, which is today's guest, definitely does as well. But I mean, I think the world of influencers is so interesting and it's filled with so many opportunities that are accessible to people, no matter how many followers you have, no matter where you come from. And today's guest, Tina Lee, grew her following by 10,000 in just one month, just one month. She launched 30 reels in 30 days. And I mean, I, that's just like incredible because today to grow 10,000 followers is like impossible, but she's been doing social media for a long time and she's completely built a business around it. She is a force to be reckoned with in the influencer space, landing incredible sponsorships, and she teaches others how to do the same. Her podcast and program, Full-Time Influencer, teaches people how to make full-time income by posting content on Instagram and shares tools to build your dream career by using the power of social media. And as a content creator myself, 
I'm constantly looking for ways to improve and grow. I, I kind of like ran with her idea of 30 reels in 30 days. And I'm going to try to do something like that myself, especially for like vlogmas, but on TikTok. And I also just learned so much from this conversation and I know that you will too and you will get inspired regardless if you're a part of the influencer industry or not. But today's episode, we dive into the evolution and origins of social media influencers, growth hacks for Instagram and how to determine your influencer rate, which so many of you guys wanna know and negotiating contracts and steps for landing brand deals no matter how large your following is. So I know that you guys are going to absolutely love today's episode. So let's get into it with Tina. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Eras tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to theouai.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's theouai.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. 
Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thank you, Tina, for coming on my podcast. I'm super excited. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I was actually looking on your Instagram today and I was looking on like all of your content, your 30 reels in 30 days. And I'm just so impressed that you were able to grow 10,000 in one month. Like that's Thank crazy. You. I was really scared we weren't going to make it because in the first two, three weeks, uh, a lot of our reels flopped. And then finally, one of them took off and eventually we gained momentum by just doubling down and posting more frequently. And luckily, it, it worked out. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Because at the end of it, you actually showed it worked. Like, I think so many people are scared because they're they're just so like out of hope. Like, they're like, oh, there's no no way for me to grow on Instagram. Yeah. But- you really proved that that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a new age with the introduction of reels. I feel like everybody can really grow and even exponentially nowadays. Yeah, it's awesome. But before we get into the meat of the episode, I wanted to start with setting the record straight. So this is some stereotypes, some assumptions, and you'll let me know if they're true or false. Sure. So the first one is that being an influencer is a full-time job. Yes, that is absolutely true. More than a full-time job, I'd say. Yeah, I've I've seen the there's like a quote that's like I quit my nine to five so I could work twenty four seven. Yeah, I thought that was really funny and very relatable. I it's know. definitely not a nine to five schedule. It's like more than that. It's hard to switch off. Yeah, I feel like even on your downtime, you use social media and you're like constantly creating content or coming up with ideas or responding to messages. Like I don't know about you, but I don't have a dedicated time where I'm like from this time to this time, I'm going to create content or from this time to this time, I'm going to respond to my DMs. I just kind of do it whenever. So there's no off button really. Same. Me neither. Yeah. And the next one is that you're never too small to start charging. Oh, yes, absolutely true. I know a lot of people who have been able to charge multiple times with 2000 followers or so, which is amazing. That's incredible. I feel like a lot of influencers are scared because if they don't have like the swipe up or like the sticker now, then they're scared that like, oh, no brands are going to want to work with me. But that's so not true. Like brands are working with micro influencers and paying. Yeah. Yeah. Not only do they have great reach, but also if they have like unique deliverables, then they can definitely charge. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's something that more and more micro influencers should, should know about and should like feel confident when they are like asking for a rate. Yes, totally. And then the next one is that it's hard to grow as an influencer today. Yeah, I think we briefly talked about this, but I I really believe in the power of reels because I've had a lot of people around me be able to grow again after being stagnant for a while. And it's actually my own story as well. And so I think it's probably the best time to grow on Instagram other than when it first started, like in early 2010. Yeah, that's such a good point because... When Reels first came out, I was very hesitant. I was like, mm, it's just TikTok 2.0. Yeah. Like, it's, I don't like it. And personally, I don't go and like scroll on Reels. Like, I'm not actively scrolling, but I like when I see it in my feed. Like, I like seeing oh. it in my feed and like watching them. So I 
I see the power of them though. Like I see the views, the numbers, people are growing exponentially. I mean, you included, like it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I actually know someone who grew 700,000 followers in one month with reels. Yeah. And his country didn't even have reels yet. And he was able to get to a million followers because of that. Oh my gosh. What content was he posting? Um, He's a photographer, more like landscape and street style. And so he did the trend where you do the drone shot and then you ask people to tilt the phone 90 degrees. And it's actually like a late trend has been around for a while. And his first one picked up and got 30 million. And then subsequently, a lot of others got like 50 million views. And so that really like skyrocketed his growth. Wow. Is he on TikTok too? Like, does he repurpose the content? Yeah. So his account is YK on TikTok and Instagram. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. 700,000 in a month. I feel like that might be like an Instagram record. (laughs) I I think so. It's, It's the craziest I've ever seen. Wow. And how did you get your start on social media? What, when did you start? And like, yeah, tell, tell us about that. Yeah. So it was about five years ago. I was working as an associate designer in New York City in um, fashion. And I kind of realized that I needed a, a business that I could call my own and hopefully a way to accelerate my financial goals. And to be honest, I kind of just like really wanted some free clothes. <laughs> I wanted some people to like give me some stuff. I was like, it seems pretty cool. And so I started a blog in the beginning and quickly I realized I needed to also be on social media. Wow. And so when you were working at your like normal, quote unquote, normal like, corporate job, were you working with influencers? Like, did you see the power of influencers there or this was just a, like you just saw it by following them online? Yeah, it was pretty new, actually. I would say five years ago, it wasn't even that common of a word like influencer. People would call them bloggers or YouTubers. And now you have like TikTokers and Instagrammers and influencers and all of that. But at that time, it was mostly bloggers. And so I was actually hoping to be a blogger, not like an influencer in the beginning. Yeah. Influencer, where did that originate? Because I, I've been on YouTube since 2010. Like I've been on it for 10 or actually 2011. So it's been 10 years now. And back when I was doing it, like, I don't even know if YouTuber was a word in 2011. It was yeah, just, probably not. I'm weird. And I put myself on the internet, I guess. Like, that's like what well, it was like back then. You can add a er to the end of something as long as you're starting to make money from it, right? I feel like it's probably in like three years ago when it became very common for influencers to make a full-time income. I would say that's probably when the term came about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet that's probably when it happened. But yeah. So you started five years ago. And at what point in within these five years did you realize that this could be a business for you? Was it from the get go or like you noted like there was something that made you think like, okay, wait, no, this is a business. Yeah. In the beginning, I I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. So I would say it was about two years in that I realized this could be like a proper full-time thing. Although I would say I quit my job a little prematurely in order to try and pursue this. But when I quit my job, I didn't really know what the possibilities were. I just knew that maybe one day I can work with brands and that maybe I can make an income through affiliate marketing. But I didn't realize that the possibilities are, are huge and that there's so many different avenues and that you can also expand to like so many different platforms. So I would say like two years in, then I was like, okay, this is serious. When I actually talked to other influencers and, you know, we exchanged some information and I realized they were making like really good income. That's when I realized. Yeah. And 
when you quit your job, were you making money already on social media is or right? I was not. <laughs> I, wow. I wasn't even like growing crazy fast or anything. I was growing on Instagram about 10,000 followers. And at that time I was very misinformed. I thought that like, oh my God, I have 10,000 followers. I'm going to start getting brand deals and then things are going to start happening. And obviously it didn't at that point. And I was also very bad at outreach in the beginning. So I actually, nobody, nobody knows you exist if you don't reach out. Right. And so, yeah, it was very slow in the beginning. Well, back then also, like you weren't getting brand deals at 10K. Now you can make a lot of money having 10,000 followers. But back then I feel like influencers were so new that everyone was gravitating to those like large influencers, ones with like hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. And now I'm so happy we're seeing the shift where it's like brands are realizing the power of micro influencers and smaller influencers, which I think is so, so huge. Yes, absolutely. I mean, everyone who has a platform and a unique voice has value with their platform. Right. And when you quit your job and you were not making money, how long did it take you then to start actually making an income? And like, how did you make that happen? Like, was it kind of like a, like a do or die? Like you were like, I have to. So like, I'm going to figure this out. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of was. And also just to be honest, when my past job, it wasn't like the the best paying job. So even if this whole influencer thing didn't work out, I could pause for a year or two and then go back to a, a, another job in design or in something else as well. So it wasn't like um, I felt like it was all in, but I was trying to really make it work. And I gave myself two years. And before two years, I was able to Um, make it a full-time income. Although uh, in the beginning, it was a very small income. And then over time, the the next few years after that, it sort of grew exponentially. And I feel like that's the experience with a lot of influencers where it starts really small, but then literally the next year you quadruple that. And then the next year you quadruple that again and so on and so forth. Yeah. It's such an exponential growth. That's always what I tell people. Like you might start only gaining five followers a month, But then the next month you gain 15 and the next month you gain 50 and then 100, then 1,000. You know, it's not a linear growth. So it's don't get discouraged by slow growth. Like slow growth is still growth. So I think that that's so important to remember that. And I know you were saying how you didn't reach out to brands at first and you kind of just like expected them to come to you. How did you get your first brand deal then? Were you reaching out or did they find you? So I was actually on platforms like um, Aspire IQ, and I think it had a different name back then, Revfluence, I think, and now it's called Aspire IQ. That's where I got my first paid brand deal. Other than that, like most of the gifting was them reaching out to me. But after a few years and I started meeting people in the industry, showing up in their stories and in their posts was actually what got me more on the radar of PR people because they follow the influencers that they like and they've already worked with. And then they saw my profile and that's actually how I got a lot of the other gigs to start. Okay. So you did some networking, right? Like networking within the industry? Yes, you can call it that. Yeah. (laughs) What are some tips for anyone out there right now that wants to also do that? Like, are you recommending for them to tag them in posts to tag them in stories or like especially today you can't attend events there's nothing I mean I guess events are happening a little bit now but it depends on like the city you live in too like someone in the middle of the country not many PR companies there not many events going on there so how do you suggest like reaching out to people that work in these PR companies or these brands 
Yeah, I would say usually the first point of contact is through email, like a cold email to introduce yourself and to just ask to be added to their roster or to just be considered for future events or future PR gifting. And so that's the first step. And then over time, it's just about staying top of mind awareness, reminding them that you exist. If something big happens with your growth or with your portfolio, you know, if you work with someone amazing, then reach out to them again and sort of give them like a little update or report and um, so that they remember who you are. And then next time this, when there's something suitable, they'll reach out to you. But I would say if it's like with the influencers, the best thing you can do is just be real with people. Just don't yeah. expect much. Just be their friend. I agree. I think that the influencer industry is different than like the corporate networking yeah. vibe, I guess. You know, like the influencer industry is so much friendlier and so much more casual than, you know, sending a long resume and like, I don't know, you know, you, I think it's best to be yourself because at the end of the day, they're, they want to work with you because they like you and they like what you represent. So it's so crucial to be yourself when you are reaching out to these people. And I know you said that you had done your first brand deal on Aspire IQ, and then you started like following all of these PR reps and like getting to know them. But One thing that I get a lot that people always ask me is how do you determine your rate, especially your first brand deal? Like your first brand deal, you're probably not going to know what you're doing. You're not going to know how to determine your rate. But do you have like a calculator, an algorithm, anything that you use to help determine your rate as an influencer? Yeah. So you know how like the most commonly talked about method is the 1% of your follower count, at least for Instagram, as like an industry standard. I would say it's a little bit outdated now, and I I feel like it should be broken down into how much does creating content cost for you, whether that's hiring a photographer or doing it yourself and and counting like an hourly rate. And then the other aspect is how much reach are you actually getting? And what is your approximate CPM relative to, say, traditional media? So like if it costs $20, $30 to be on broadcast TV, then maybe an influencer, you know, per thousand views, it costs around the same because it's very targeted, very specific and very valuable because we have the trust of our followers, of our audience. So that's how I would approach it. But it's really hard to say because it's not like one set number or calculator that can calculate everything. Right. And also, I mean, read the contracts, like it depends so much on the contract. Like you can't just have a flat rate for everything. Like if they want exclusivity or usage or anything else, like you definitely need to up your rate. But I've also noticed, so I'm actually starting a company called Rella, where we're going to be an all-in-one social media management tool for influencers to help manage and run their business. So with that, we've been trying to do some influencer marketing campaigns and we're right now like sourcing influencers. And it's so weird being on the other side of it. Like, it's so weird. How is the experience? It's actually a little harder than I thought to like find the right influencers, which is one thing that Rella is like solving, like yeah. it's creating a solution for that for brands too. But for me, I was like, this is a little harder than I thought. And it's yeah. interesting because I have to ask all these influencers for their analytics. So I'm like, can you send me screenshots of like your story views and your impressions and your reach? And it's crazy at how much fluctuation there is. Like you can have someone with 60,000 followers that gets the same reach as someone with 2000. Totally. It's insane. So I'm like, this person's charging like they have 60,000 followers, but 
their reach is not high at all. And this person that has the same reach as that person is charging so much less. So I think that's also to keep in mind, like followers don't matter as much anymore. I personally am not really looking at the followers. I'm looking at their reach because I know that's, those are the eyes that are going to be on the post. So seeing that it's, it's really opened my eyes to like compare like my own reach. I'm like, how am I doing? (laughs) Like, like what are my numbers like? And like, am I charging a fair rate? Yeah, I think that follower count is a little outdated to do it based on that now that yeah. we have so much, so much, so many more analytics. And how do you battle like if there's inorganic activity or inauthentic like followers? It would also be really hard, right, to just look at numbers and then determine maybe this is real, maybe it's not. And sometimes it really does take following an influencer to be able to get a sense of everything they do, like the quality. Do they really speak from an authentic? place and all of that. Right, right. Because so many people also buy followers or they have ghost followers that aren't really engaging with their content. And so it's really important to make sure that the people you're working with, because being on the brand side of things now, I'm like, this is a lot of money that I'm spending and I want to make sure that it pays off. So, you know, it's making sure that your rate really reflects like the people that are coming to your page. It's not up to you, you know, to make sure that you you get a certain amount of swipe ups or link clicks or anything like that. But just being like as authentic as possible, I think yes. is really important. Totally. Yeah. How do you feel confident when you are negotiating your rate? Like, has there ever been backlash where a brand will push back and be like, no, that's way too high. Like how, how do you like remain confident in it? Yeah, totally. All the time. Well, well maybe not all the time, but every yeah. now and then it definitely happens. It's more common than you think. And I think that's the one fear that a lot of people have, especially if they're kind of starting out, you feel like you're scared to pitch what you actually want because you're worried that they will say no. It's always really hard to take rejection. But we just kind of have to know that rejection happens and it's okay. You have to be willing to walk away sometimes if you feel like it's not worth your time. At the end of the day, it's what will you get from this? Will it be valuable for your portfolio? If not, and you're going to spend a lot of time and even some money on the project, then you have to walk away if they're going to sort of devalue your time and your worth. Right. I think so many people starting out get scared to say no, you know, they get scared to push back or to negotiate. And it's really important to stand up for yourself in this industry because there's a lot of people that get taken advantage of. Like I would say more than not, you know, I feel like a lot of brands take advantage of influencers just because they, if they know that you're not that like experienced or you haven't negotiated before, it's easy to do that. So you really do have to stand up for yourself in this industry. Yeah. I mean, when I started, I I would pitch these incredibly low rates that's even lower than like 1% because I was so, so insanely scared of them saying no. And I really wanted to like secure the deal. But turns out, you know, over time, even the same company, I was able to turn it from something like $200 for five posts into like seven, $8,000 for one post. And of course, this is over years. And so I have grown my following and reach and all of that. But still, it just goes to show like how much can change when you are confident uh, with your worth, but also, you know what you're talking about, you know, industry terms, you have had experience with other brands. So you know what is right to charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know you've had kind of a long influencer journey and you kind of started it 
as a business, I would say, you know, like you quit your job, you really started this as a full-time business. Did you have people that were supporting you along the way? Because that's also really scary when, you know, you do decide to take this full-time. I feel like there can be a lot of backlash even in your personal life. So was that something that you had faced or did you have like the support of everyone around you? Right. Actually, my, my husband, he supported me in terms of like rent and some of the living expenses. So just to be transparent with that. And my parents are far away in Asia, so they don't really, you know, determine what I do with my life. And so with my husband, it was more like mentally, he wasn't really supportive. He really thought that social media was stupid and that we're just like taking photos and being vain. And um, he just couldn't understand why people would actually want to see my daily life or like care about it and why that's actually valuable to brands. He has since come around and now he's actually quit his job and part-time supporting my business, which is crazy. That's but funny. It yeah. It started where he really didn't understand. And he would just say, it's like all stupid. And so I would take photos either with other people or by myself. But I don't think that ever deterred me. I think if you love what you do and you know you want to do this, it doesn't matter if they're like the closest people to you. You just got to keep doing it. And have your actions speak louder. Yeah. I mean, that's also so hard. Like that's another level of putting yourself on the internet. Isn't just about how do I grow? How do I make money? It's also that confidence piece where it's like, you have to be confident in what you're putting out there. And like, you have to be confident online and in real life, because there's going to be so many people that don't support you in real life and online, like online people are ruthless. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, totally. The hate is insane but I don't know I'm sure it's worse on YouTube I feel like on Instagram it's like okay because it's a lot of your own followers but I heard that on YouTube it's brutal yeah YouTube I would say it's pretty bad because it's easier to be anonymous like I mean I don't use like if you just have like a random Google account like eat Gmail account you don't have a profile picture there's no profile there's nothing you know so there's way more anonymous comments and accounts that feel very brave and (laughs) say whatever they want. So yeah, I think Instagram, Instagram has a lot of like troll accounts though. Yeah. Private accounts, no profile pic. And then they just say whatever they want. Right. It's like following 900 people, like zero followers. So I used to get super bothered by this, but I realized over time that honestly, they're still going to exist. They're still going to say things. And it doesn't technically change your life. And I know it affects like your psyche and your energy. And like, you you probably feel a bit annoyed for the rest of the day. And I still do. I'm still trying my best to like not let it affect me. But it's just good to know that ultimately, it doesn't matter. People move on, they get bored, they just troll, but they move on as well. And so we also need to move on and not let that affect us negatively. Yeah, I love that. I've I've started to get a lot more detached from that. Like I don't care as much anymore. Like I'll kind of just like give it an eye roll and then like move on. And so I think that comes with age too. Like I do think that as you get older, you care less and less. Like I'm 25 right now, but when I was 20, like those comments were really, really affected me, you know? And I think now I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I'm more secure in like who I am as a person. So I don't, don't worry about them as much. Yeah, that's great. I wish more people would hear this because there's a lot of young people, especially like young girls on social media, and it would destroy them sometimes. And I just wish people would be nicer. What's the point of hate? 
I don't get it. Have you seen the Demelio show on Hulu? Oh, um, I have snippets of it. Why they like break down crying and it's really, really hard on them. Yeah. I think people forget that they're like 16 and 18. Like they're so young, like, or I don't know how old they both are, but I think they're around that age, like 16 and 18 years old. Like there's um, one part of the show is like Charlie, who's the 16 year old. She's like learning how to drive for the first time. And I'm like, oh my God, these girls are little. Like she doesn't even know how to drive. Like They're literally teenagers. Like they're babies, but they're getting so much hate online. And like, it's, like, I think people just forget that it's like real people behind the screen. Yeah. And also just because we put ourselves out there, it doesn't mean it's okay to, to leave these hate comments. That does not justify people being rude. Like right. it's not a thing where celebrities deserve to get whatever they get just because they put themselves out there. Or like the more fame you have, the more you have to be okay with it or the more acceptable these things are. It's never acceptable, but <laughs> unfortunately we can't stop it. And so the best we can do is move on from it. Right. I mean, if you're a bully to someone with a million followers, you're still a bully. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's you're still being mean. But I know there's there's definitely negatives to social media. How has your relationship with social media changed from like when you started to what it's like now? Yeah. In the beginning, um, I actually started not knowing that, you know, social media, you got to be social. I was quite introverted, um, just sort of scared to talk to people and network and all that. And over time, I started to embrace the social aspect of it and really engage more with people, met up with people in real life and make friends and all that. And so now it's just about finding the right balance. So using it enough to make sure that I'm staying consistent, I'm showing up for my audience, but also not letting it overtake your life. I actually started seeing a therapist for the first time in my life. I'm like 33 and seeing a therapist for the first time. But I think it's good to talk to somebody else. And sometimes also it's good to detach yourself from social media and know that there's so much to life beyond social media and be happy for those moments. Savor those little things. I think that would help you get like a much healthier relationship with social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think social media, like we're all on this roller coaster of like in the beginning, it's amazing. And then we have like this downhill, really negative, unhealthy obsession with it. Yeah. And you have to start sending boundaries and then the, yeah. the relationship gets better. That's kind of where I'm at right now, too. Like yes. I've set boundaries with myself on social. I don't obsess over it. I'm not like excessively like planning out what I'm going to post. Like I strategize for sure, but it's not like. Yeah oh my God, everything has to look perfect. Like, blah, blah, blah. you know, like I've become way better about it. I'm not like looking at how many likes every single photo gets. You know, I think it's, you just have to really set those clear boundaries and like time limits too. Do you have like time limits on your phone or anything like that? Or like, what are some boundaries that you set and like, how do you implement them? I don't have time limits right now, but maybe that's something I will look into in the near future. Previously, I would have a hard time even taking just one day off stories. Like I would have to be on every single day. And if I wasn't, I felt super guilty. If there was no like little circle or anything, I feels really bad. And now I can just let it go for like a few days at a time and then come back and realize people are still there. And as long as you've already built that relationship, then, you know, and you're real about it, they'll still be there to listen to you when you're back and when you're ready. But it's most important to make sure you're in the right mental state when you show up right I could not agree more like that's gonna if you 
burn yourself out, like that hurts more than like taking a break when needed. It's really hard because basically it's numbers that's dictating, you know, what you feel like you're worth. And it's sort of not the most healthy way to evaluate the quality of your photos or your videos or even story views. You feel like, oh, today I'm really boring because I got half the story views I would normally get. But that's honestly not really true. It's just sort of this algorithm that fluctuates. And the longer that you're on any platform, the longer you realize you'll go through downtimes, but then you can also come back up. And so don't let the downtimes get you down too much because like mm. every influencer will come out and they're like I'm taking some time off to reflect on my work and I want to do this because I'm happy you know I want to make myself happy I did it for me and that's usually a sign that they're going through like bad engagement and reach and they feel bad about themselves and then they'll bounce back later on right no that's so true about like what everyone says because it it really is true or like I'll see on people's stories like you have to make sure that you're engaging with me in order to like my engagement to go up but which is true but I do think a lot of people obsess over it you know and at that point when you realize when you catch yourself obsessing over it I think it's time to like take a break and like take a breather yeah and I mean you have been you've done so many social media challenges like your 30 reels in 30 days for your other Instagram account you have or for your business I should say you've been on it for five years how do you constantly come up with new content ideas because that's something I feel like you can be in a rut with, you know, it's just like constantly coming up with new ideas. Totally. I think that's actually pretty hard sometimes. And because we manage our own business, so like we have to put on like the business thinking cap, but then also sometimes you got to be put on the creative thinking cap and those two kind of don't go well together. So sometimes when I see my business like going really well, my creativity is just not going well. And the opposite is true when I feel extra creative. And so I kind of just let it be now. And um, I try to look at content all the time. And I also try to always go back to my favorite creators to get ideas, even from old posts, because the people who originally inspired you most likely will still inspire you, even if it's like years later. And it just might spark a new idea or like a new spin on it or use like a new trending sound, but then put it on an idea that was old. And I think that's like one of the ways I would come up with more content ideas. Or I just look at what performed better before and just try and recreate that. I think Reels also allowed you to explore more like like recycled content, you know, because like a new audio makes it a whole new reel. So and like a new take on like whatever you can have like one topic that you want to talk about, but like a new TikTok trend or like Reels trend can make it be totally new and different. So I think that because of Reels and TikTok, there's been a lot of recycled content that has done really, really well. And it's easy to recycle the content. Yeah, I've actually posted like the same viral reel twice. And the second time it went even more viral than the first time. Like the first time I got 2 million views, the second time it got 6 million. And I was like, well, I'm so glad I got lazy and I just reposted it. Same music, same everything. Literally just a repost. Just repost because I ran out of content during Valentine's Day. So I was like, okay, what's a couple reel that I did before that did well? And I just reposted it. And how far apart did you repost it? It was only three, three, four months, actually. Wow, that's crazy. And it got six million views. But because like about five or six months before that was when reels introduced, right? August 2020. And I posted that reel. That was my first ever viral reel. And since then, I was able to grow about 200K to like 
in 2021. And so it was like the craziest growth I've ever experienced because I went all in with reels and I posted almost every single day. And I had so much previous video content that I could repurpose into reels. So I was outputting a lot. And so that's actually how I grew a lot. So I figured a lot of people haven't seen this. So may as well just repost it. Yeah. And okay, I'm curious, how do you like time batch or not even time batch? How do you plan out your day? Because do you time batch? Do you do you have like a set time when you're like filming and editing or like I need organization tips. So (laughs) what does your schedule look like and how do you have the time to do all of this in a day? Yeah, I feel like I am the wrong person to ask this. (laughs) I'm so not organized and I go by how I feel most of the time. And I just try to do as much as I can. And the fortunate thing for me is I only have a husband. Like I don't have children. My parents are really far away. I don't even get to spend time with them. Like I just call them every two weeks. So I, and I don't really hang out with my friends. So like I have very limited other things that I have to do. I literally dedicate all my time to my my social media and my business. How long does it take you to upload or to edit a reel? I should say. Yeah, if it's on my main page, it takes quite a while, usually like four to five hours. If it's like extensive editing, I would take one hour to film. Maybe it's in my room outfit changes or duplicating myself. And it takes about three hours to edit and then about half an hour to an hour to draft the caption and and all of that. But if it's like filming outside, it could be a couple hours a day across two, three days. and. What do you use to edit your reels? What's, what are your favorite programs? So if it's complicated, I use Premiere Pro. I use all Adobe software. And if it's like easier, I just do it on my phone with InShot app. That's the main one that I use. I think it's great. Okay. Wow. So the ones with like the cool transitions, are you using Premiere or are you using InShot? So actually a lot of my most viral reels, I just edited on InShot. If it's more like about the couple story, then people are more watching for the story or the outcome. Um, And I just add like a little transition in post to do like that zoom effect. But for if it's more like a clever, creative outfit reel, then I use Premiere Pro. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that's so long to edit a reel, I feel like, because you only see a minute of it. You know, you see 30 seconds, (laughs) a minute, three minutes. And you're spending so many hours to edit. That's something I feel like that not a lot of people would think about. You know, people think it's so easy. You just upload like a quick 30 second video, but it's really not. (laughs) But I also think not every reel has to be such crazy production. I do have some that I consider more filler. Maybe it's just documenting my travels or like a more simpler transition. And the editing is super fast, like 15 minutes. There are some of those as well. Obviously, they don't perform as well, but that's okay. It's still good to stay consistent and put it out there. Yeah. So do you think it's better to post quantity over quality or quality over quantity? What's kind of your role with that? I usually say quality over quantity because one viral reel could be 10, 20 times the reach of like mediocre reels. But also on the flip side, you need to create quantity to be able to get better and get better quality. So kind of like hard to say but I would say quality first yeah you gotta find that balance and like I think once you start doing it more you just get quicker and things get more streamlined and you come up with better ideas like do you have like a content list where you're constantly coming up with new ideas or do you just film as you go like oh I have an idea let me film this or do you have like a running list 
Yeah, I have a list for both pages and they are very different looking content. And so every time I have a new idea, I jot it down. And at the right time or when I feel re-inspired by the idea, I'll go and create it. Do you have a team that helps you or is it just you and your husband? So right now I have one employee and she helps me a lot with a lot of the the second page and everything related to the podcast. And I also have courses. And so she helps me a lot with that. And my own page, I run mostly by myself. Was that hard to like delegate things to someone else after doing it yourself for so long? Yeah, it's still hard. I'm still learning how to do that. And we are still such a small team, but I already feel like I have so much to do. I really need to expand the team. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of social media too. It's like being an influencer, quote unquote, is a stepping stone. You can do so much after that. Like you can start your own business and, you know, feel more confident when you are starting that business. You can sell product. You can, you know, start a podcast. You can, you know, there's so many other things that you can do. And then you just increase your income streams and your, your revenue just increases and creating passive income is also such like a good way to grow your business. I think like your courses probably make you a lot of money and it's passive income, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Although it depends on how you launch the course, sometimes it's not as passive. And then for some models, it could be really passive, but definitely like growing your personal brand, like being a a quote unquote influencer and working with brands, that's just the starting point. You're Mm -hmm. just building that brand is the beginning. And then where you want to take with it ultimately is completely up to you. Like some people go on to be TV hosts, some people go on to different platforms, and then some people just become business owners but it's all because you had this platform to begin with, which is super powerful. Right. Well, Tina, this was such a great conversation. Before we go, I wanted to ask, what is the realest advice that you've ever received? And it could be with the business. It could be with social media. It could just be with life in general. Putting it out there is better than having it be perfect. So don't let perfectionism stop you from actually doing things. I love that. I always tell people that. I'm like, you just got to start because that's how you'll learn. Like everyone look back at everyone's first video, Instagram posts, podcasts, whatever. It's horrible. Horrible. Yeah, Yeah, totally. (laughs) No one starts perfect. So just start. I definitely, I definitely agree. And I love that advice. Well, Tina, where can they find you and where can they find your business and your courses and everything else? Yeah. So if you love listening to podcasts like The Real Real, um, I actually also have a podcast called The Full-Time Influencer Podcast. And we talk all about influencer marketing and how to grow your following, even how to calculate your rates. I have a full episode on that. So you can find me at Full-Time Influencer on Apple, iTunes, all that. And on Instagram, you can find me at Of Leather and Lace. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tina. I really enjoy this conversation and I know it's going to be so helpful. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovan Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. 
At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.